Today, back to back, we have another guest speaker. Last time around, we had uh, Pastor Tim Carnes of the Calvary Church in Burbank. And we are so thankful for his ministry to us. He was a blessing. And today, we have another guest speaker. So, back to back, uh, we have two very good speakers speaking to us this morning. And um, this brother actually is well known to us. He is no longer a stranger to us. Uh, first up, he was a pastor here in Cebu in the Word of Life Church for about 10 years. He completed his master degree in Asian uh, Theological Seminary. And then he also completed his doctorate in a Southern uh, Baptist uh, Seminary uh, from the United States. And right now, he is based in Toronto, uh, I'm, not, I'm sorry, is it Toronto? Toronto, Canada. And um, he is now moving in uh, practically uh, every continent right now. He has been to South America, he has been to the Middle East, he has been to places in Asia. Uh, after this, I think he will be going to Australia and New Zealand as well. And he is promoting... Um, teaching pastors, educating them so that they can learn how to preach accurately from God's Word. And so without much ado, let us welcome in our midst our friend and our dear uh, pastor, uh, Pastor Roy Versosa. Let's give the Lord a big hand for it. All right, praise the Lord. Wow. You know, with that kind of introduction, I'm already excited to hear myself speak. We have that there at the back. Praise the Lord. Magandang maga po. Maing buntag sa tuntanan. Let's do that again. Good morning, everyone. Praise the Lord. So you want it in English, huh? All right. Well, I'm excited to study God's Word with you this morning. It's always a privilege to uh, come back to uh, Cebu for the past uh, eight years. I've been doing this, and God has been so gracious, opening doors of opportunities to minister here in the Philippines. Now, at the start of this year, 2017, I was looking at my calendar and was asking God what message He would want me to bring to the churches in at least 10 countries this year. And you know, as we move from year to year and we get closer to the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we know that things will go from bad to worse before it gets better. And as the pressure builds up, it becomes more difficult to live the Christian life and the temptation to quit running the race is a clear and present danger. There are many people today, they cannot handle the pressure, especially those who have gone through some personal tragedies, you know, the personal disappointments, and they think the logical option is stop following a God who doesn't seem to care. And so this topic this morning reminds me of a dramatic moment that happened during the 19th Olympic Games in Mexico City in 1968. This was the 42-kilometer marathon race. 75 started that race, but only 57 completed that race. 
the number 57 was John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania. He came in last. Midway, the 42-kilometer race, they were jockeying for position and he got tripped. He fell badly. He dislocated a joint on his knee and then hurt his shoulder. The ambulance came, treated him right there on the spot, advised him to go to the hospital and quit the race. But to everybody's surprise, he insisted on finishing the race. When he entered the stadium, most of the people already gone. Only a handful of reporters were there. But as he crossed the finish line, the reporters all gathered around him and then they asked him, why did he continue running the race? I mean, it's all understandable. If he would quit, he was hurt. It was difficult. It was painful. But you know what he said made the headline news. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. What tenacity. You know, that's the mindset that kept him running. That kept him from quitting the race. The mindset. That attitude. As we all know, Christianity is not a 100-meter dash. It's more like a marathon. That means it's not so much important how you start the race, but how you end the race. And the Christian life, the constant challenge is that we're faced with hurdles. There are challenges, there are changes, there's even a crisis that we have to face. And we know of some people who have been part of our fellowship, but we don't see them here anymore. And sometimes we wonder, are, are they still walking with the Lord? I mean, if they move to another evangelical church, no problem, they're still part of the race. But friends, what I feel sad about are those who quit the race altogether. They went back to their former lifestyle or even adopted a new lifestyle that is not pleasing to God and they stopped pursuing intimacy with God. And so in our study this morning, I want to explore how you and I can remain steadfast in our pursuit of God, how you and I can remain grounded in our faith, press on in running the race, despite the changes, despite the challenges, despite even the crisis that we might have to face. I have entitled this sermon, How to Keep Pressing On. We're studying five verses from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. I'd like for all of us to please stand and let's all read this together. Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 10. All together now, ready, read. And experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all these or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. 
I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for the privilege that we have in this country to come together, to worship you in spirit and in truth, and study your words with this freedom. Lord, we realize that we have brothers and sisters in different parts of this world who they have to hide. They don't even have Bibles. Lord, we pray that you will continue to protect and supply the needs of these brothers and sisters. But Lord, for us this morning, we ask that each one of us will truly hear from you. Cover us now with your precious blood so that each one of us will receive us fresh thoughts from you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may take your seats. <clears throat> this letter of the Apostle Paul to the Philippians is considered to be one of his most joyful letters. In fact, the word rejoice appears six times in this letter. Now, you might think that when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, he was so, you know, he was probably sipping a cold iced lemonade while he's sunbathing on top of a cruise ship floating somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea. Well, friends, when he wrote this letter, he was actually in prison. He was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day with no certainty whether he will live or die. Consider his situation. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's serving God the best way he can, doing all the sacrifices, depriving himself of many of the luxuries of life just so that he may faithfully do the work of the ministry. And this is the thanks he got, languishing in prison, treated unfairly, and if found guilty, he will be beheaded. And while in prison, chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, friends, if there's anyone who has the right to be discouraged, it's the Apostle Paul. If there's anyone who has the right to give up, it's the Apostle Paul. But that's not the message that we have just read, isn't it? In fact, twice he said, I press on, I press on. You know, there's something about his attitude. There's something about his mindset that kept him running the race even in the midst of difficulties. And that's the thing about the Christian walk, isn't it? We really do not know what lies ahead of us. There will be changes, that's for sure. There will be some challenges. There might even be a crisis. But friends, I really believe that if we have the same mindset as the possible, if we imbibe on the same attitude that he had, you and I can weather the storm and finish the race. So this morning, I'd like to share at least three commitments that will help us continue running this race, help us keep on pressing on. Let's notice some of the things mentioned here by, Dr., uh, by the Apostle Paul. He said in verse 10, I want to know you. I want to know God. He has a clear purpose, I want to know Christ. In verse 11, he said, in order that I may attain. That means he has a goal. In verse 12, he said, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on. He knows his 
present situation, but he made a decision, I will not quit. In verse 13, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. And then verse 14, he said, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. Friends, you know what these words are telling us? What it's saying is that the Apostle Paul had a goal in mind. He had a clear purpose in mind. And that's why he was able to press on even though he was in a difficult situation. If I ask you this morning, what is your goal in life? What is that one thing that you really want to accomplish in your life? Friends, what is your purpose in living? The Apostle Paul stated this purpose in no uncertain terms. He said, I want to know Christ. Brothers and sisters, if we are to keep on pressing on, first of all, you and I need to fulfill our purpose. Fulfill your purpose. We need to have a goal. The country, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. You need to have a goal if you want to keep on pressing on. In fact, friends, everything in life hangs on that one word. And that word is purpose. Everything in life hangs on that one word. Brothers and sisters, if you have no purpose, your life is worthless. There are people who commit suicide. They feel that life is not worth living because they don't have a purpose in life. But friends, if you have the wrong purpose, then your life is wasted. Now, I know that there are people today, they make it their purpose in life. I just want to get rich. You know, I just want to get, accumulate the material wealth that I can accumulate on this earth. That's their goal in life. Now, friends, I have nothing against riches. I know riches can be a blessing from the Lord. It can be the, the, the fruit of your labor. But the Apostle Paul made it also very clear that riches can be a blessing, but it can also be a curse. There are people today, when they were still poor, they were following the Lord. But when they got rich, they stopped following the Lord. They quit the race. And that's why Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 9, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Riches can be a blessing and it can be a curse. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself warned us with these words. He said, But what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That means, friends, there are things in life more important than money. Your soul is more important than money. And it's sad because there are people today, they have mortgaged their souls, they have made their souls as a collateral to get the fame, to get the riches that they so desire. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? This is utter foolishness, he said. For the Apostle Paul, he made it very clear, I want to know Christ. That means, friends, his purpose is I want to know him personally. I want to know him personally. Did you notice the Apostle Paul did not say, I want to know about Christ, but he said, I want to know Christ. There's a world of difference between knowing things about Him in our head 
and then knowing Him personally in our hearts. In fact, some of the most awful words Jesus Christ ever uttered was in the Sermon on the Mount, and He said on Judgment Day, people will face Him on Judgment Day, and they will say to Him, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name, and in Your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Wow! I mean, if we look at these people performing miracles, driving out demons, there's no doubt in our minds that these are Christians. I mean, we, we can even do a lot of those things. This must be Christians. But this will be the greatest shock people will hear on Judgment Day when people will, when Jesus will turn them away and say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Brothers and sisters, Going to heaven is not a matter of performing religious duties. I don't care if you come to church every Sunday or every day. Friends, what matters to God is you have a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of having religion. It's having a relationship with Him. In fact, when you use the word knew that I never knew you, it actually means to know someone personally through experience. It's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to be sincere. Because we can be sincerely wrong. What needs to happen is that we know Him personally. But then secondly, the Apostle Paul continued in verse 10. He said, experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. You know, His purpose here is not only to know Him personally. He said, I want to know Him Powerfully. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. I mean, how much power do you need to raise somebody who's been dead for three days? I mean, we know today if you flatline just for a few seconds, the paramedics will come and use a paddle and then counter shock to jumpstart your heart. That's about 200 to 1,000 volts of power just to jumpstart your heart. But that's just for a few seconds of flatline. Now, what do you do that a heart that has been flatlined for three days? How much power do you need? There's not enough power Miralco can offer to cause a heart to beat again after being dead for three days. Friends, the Apostle Paul said, I want to know him powerfully. I want to experience that same power that raised him from the dead. I want that power over my sin. I want that power over myself. I want that power over Satan. I want that power over situation. I'm tired of living my life as a victim. I want to live my life as a victor. I want to experience that power in my life. And not only that, in verse 10, he added, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Wow. Have you heard somebody pray that kind of prayer? Lord, I want to suffer the same suffering that you went through. Have, have you heard somebody pray like that? I mean, have you seen the passion of the Christ? I mean, friends, I don't want to experience that kind of suffering. But that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, I do not want him to know him only personally and powerfully. I want to know him passionately. The same suffering, the same death. And no wonder, the Apostle Paul, even though he was in prison, he can rejoice. Nothing compared to what the Lord Jesus Christ went through. And he said, this is my desire 
this is my goal, this is my purpose, this is my ambition. I want to know Him personally, I want to know Him powerfully, I want to know Him passionately. Brothers and sisters, is this our desire? Is this the purpose why we live our lives? The critical issue, if you want to keep pressing on, friends, hangs on that one word, and that word is purpose. What is your purpose in life? Do you know that your purpose will determine your priorities? Your purpose in life determines your priorities. We must decide what's really important and what's not. I mean, some things are not necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. You cannot go to all the party invitations because some of those parties will be detrimental to your purpose to know Christ and to make Him known. I love that statement from Rabbi Zacharias. He said, Any pleasure that refreshes you without diminishing you, distracting you or sidetracking you from the ultimate goal is a legitimate pleasure. What that means, brothers and sisters, is that the fundamental prerequisite for defining what's really important is to establish the purpose for life first. We need to determine what is your purpose because your purpose determines your priorities. That means, friends, whatever you do in life, the activities you get involved in, the places you go to, the movies that you watch, the books that you read, the websites that you visit, whatever you do in life, they must not diminish, they must not distract you, they must not sidetrack you from your ultimate goal, your purpose in life. Let's break this down. For example, those who are students. Come on, let me see the hands of those who are still students. Kindly raise your hand. The students. All right, students right there. Lots of students here. Okay. For example, the students. What is your goal as a student? Now, most students that I know, our goal is to graduate. That's our goal. We want to graduate. That's our goal. Now, if that's your goal, if that's your purpose, then that will determine your priorities. You cannot be spending so much time on Facebook that, that's not your priority because it will be detrimental. It will diminish your goal to graduate. And then you ask the most important question, Pastor, is it okay to have a boyfriend and a girlfriend while I'm a student? Well, friends, you have to decide. Is having a boyfriend, is having a girlfriend, will that diminish you? Will that distract you? Will that sidetrack you from your ultimate goal? To be able to graduate. Now, I know some people, they, they got inspired because they have a boyfriend or girlfriend. But others, they did not reach graduation. They got their MD, the marriage degree instead, instead of graduating. So friends, you need to determine your purpose first. What may be okay to others may not be okay to you. I love this definition of sin from Susanna Wesley. You know, Susanna Wesley was a mother of 19 kids. I mean, talking about Mother's Day. She's a mother of 19 kids, but two of her sons, their combined ministry, Charles and John Wesley, shook the British Isles. And this is how she defined sin. She's not a theologian, but a mother 
of 19 kids, she said, Whatever weakens your reasoning, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes away your relish for spiritual things. In short, if anything increases the authority and the power of the flesh over the spirit, that to you becomes sin, however good it is in itself. Wow! Not a theologian. So brothers and sisters, we need to fulfill our purpose. And according to the Apostle Paul, our purpose is to know Him and to make Him known. Friends, if you're a Christian, if you're somebody who's here who claims to have been born again, friends, that's our purpose. That's the goal as a Christian, to know Him and to make Him known. Make that as your lifelong purpose and I can assure you, whatever happens in life, you will continue to press on. Even if you lose your job, you can know Him and make Him known. Even if you receive the doctor's report that you have cancer, you can still know Him and make Him known. Even if you don't have a boyfriend, you can still know Him and make Him known. Whatever happens in life, again, as I've said, there are some tragedies that we have to go through and the disappointments that we have with God. And this is what causing people, some people, to turn away from the Lord because of that disappointment. A few months ago, I saw this film, this testimony of a mother. They were leaving the church service that Sunday morning. It's a family of three. An intersection, they did not see that there was an ambulance coming. It hit the driver's side. The father died on the spot. The mother was retrieved, her body was retrieved, but they couldn't find the eight-year-old son because of the wreckage. When they finally found the son, he flatlined three times. That means he died three times, but he recovered. Listen to this testimony of this mother. I didn't see what he was yelling at. I didn't see the ambulance coming, but I remembered him yelling. That was the last thing I heard from him. On a Sunday morning in 1997, Julie Kemp, her husband Andy, and their eight-year-old son Landon were driving home from church when an ambulance returning to its station broadsided their car in an intersection. Andy died instantly. Rescuers stabilized Julie but did not realize there was a third passenger in the car. They couldn't see his body because of the damage that was done to the driver's side of the car, and Landon was sitting behind his dad. And when they saw Landon's shoe, it took a deeper search for his body. When they pulled Landon out um, from the back of the car, he was not breathing and they all started working on him right away to bring him back. Landon was resuscitated and life-flighted to Carolina's medical center. He died two more times that day, and both times he was brought back to life. Doctors didn't give Julie much hope for his survival. They told me that if he lived, which did not look good, but that if he lived, that he would be like an eight-year-old baby, that um, he would not know how to walk or talk or to eat. I was so desperate that that was okay. I would take that 
just to have him. He was all that I had. At her husband's funeral, Julie remembers feeling abandoned by God. I was very disappointed, heartbroken. And while I'm sitting at the funeral, I'm fussing at God. I don't understand um, why this happened. I don't understand um, why He didn't send angels to protect us. But in the very next breath, I'm praying as hard to Him as I've ever prayed in my life for Landon to live. Landon had suffered massive head trauma during the accident and remained in a coma. He's hooked up to all kinds of machines to keep him alive. And there are no signs. There's nothing good or bad. They see nothing happening. I kept praying that he would open his eyes. After two weeks in a coma, Landon opened his eyes. To everyone's amazement, he had no brain damage. But in the midst of her joy, Julie knew she had to tell Landon about his father. He had scars on his face and his head was just full of hurt and I didn't want to hurt him anymore. So I asked Landon, I said, Landon, do you know where your dad is at? And he told me, yes, I know where he's at. I saw him in heaven. Landon is now grown, but still clearly remembers his amazing experiences in heaven. I remember being able to see my dad and his friend, Olin Palmer, who had passed away less than a month before he did, also in a car accident, and Olin's son, Neil Palmer, who had died on a four-wheeler years before. Never one of us said a word to each other, but we were just all standing there. He looked over to me and says, oh, Mom, by the way, I forgot to tell you, I saw your other two kids. And I just looked at him because um, I wasn't sure what he was talking about, but um, I had two miscarriages before Landon was born. We had never shared that with Landon. He did not know that um, we had lost two children before him. I knew that they were my siblings, even though no one had ever told me about them. Just being in heaven, I guess you know, you know your own or you know who everyone is. He says each time he died, he had a different experience in heaven. During the third time, he says he met Jesus and was given a mission. It was almost as if like um, a preview of a movie to where you only get to see certain bits and pieces of things. Jesus came to me and told me that I have to go back to earth and be a good Christian and tell others about him. Today, through Grief Share, Landon and Julie use their story to help others who are struggling with loss and in need of hope. I didn't understand in 1997, you know, why God didn't send an angel, but I know that there were angels there, and I know that um, we were protected, and we are living out what His plan is for us. Instead of staying mad at Him, I was able to use the story to help others not to give up and to um, keep their faith on their grief journey. I just want people to realize that Jesus is real. There is a heaven, there are angels, and um, to follow his word in the Bible, and life does get better at the end.
you know what some people had to go through, the traumatic experiences. There's no way we can minimize the pain. But friends, the Bible assures us that God loves us, that He will never leave us nor forsake us. Don't make that as a reason to turn away from God. Don't make that as, a, that as an impediment. Instead, make that as an inspiration to know Him and to make Him known. Secondly, the Apostle Paul also said here, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Friends, not only do we need to fulfill our purpose, number two, if you want to continue running the race, you need to forget your past. You cannot be running the race and kept on looking back and, you know, you'll not be able to reach the finish line. You'll stumble along the way. The Apostle Paul said, forgetting the past. And you know the things, the, the, what that past meant for the Apostle Paul. I mean, here was a guy who had authority from the high priest to seek out the Christians and he used his authority to to kill Christians, to murder them. And in his own words, he said, I am the chief of sinners. And that's why the Apostle Paul, for him to forget the past, he knew how terrible those things in the past were for him. You know, he could have walked around carrying all this burden of guilt of all these people that he has murdered. But he did not allow that. He, he, he said, I have to forget the past. And so friends, first of all, we need to forget past guilt. We cannot allow the past, the things that we have done, to continue to haunt us. We need to let go of this past. We need to forget past guilt. Not only that, also we need to forget past grief. I mean, we all have heartaches. We all have shed some tears. And again, when we say forget the past grief, we're not trying to minimize your pain. Obviously, you need to, have, you need to spend some time grieving if you've lost a loved one. If you have a business and you went bankrupt, that's not easy to recover. You need to have some time to grieve. If you've been sexually abused, you know, if you've gone through some traumatic experiences, you need the time to grieve. But friends, we cannot just continue living in the past. We cannot just stay in our, in our seat, in our room, and continue to lick our wounds and do nothing else. It won't help you. It won't help the people around you. It's one thing to forget the past, and it's another thing to be chained to our past. And not only that, we also have to forget our past grudges. You know, somebody has done you wrong. Do you still have that bitterness you carry with you because of this brother or this sister or this office mate? You know, the moment you come to the office, when you see his face, you lose your sanctification. You know, kumukulo agad yung dugo mo when you see the face of this person. But we, we cannot continue living with all this Bitterness in our hearts. In fact, the writer of Hebrews said, don't let bitterness take root in your heart. That means you have to refuse it. You have to release it. You have to get rid of it. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing like bitterness that can spoil, that can prevent you from really moving on in your Christian life. And so what we need to do is we need to let go 
and let God ipasadyos na natin kapatid. Yes, I know, you know, a brother, a sister owed you some money and they haven't repaid you for what they owed. You met them at SM and they may daladalang MK, Michael Kors. Oh, you haven't paid my, you know, your debt to me. And you know, you feel all this, this bitterness inside. But friends, we cannot be controlled by this. Ipasadyos na natin yan, kapatid. We just have to let go and let God the Apostle Paul clearly said, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. That means, the past grief, instead of becoming impediments to hold him back, they became inspirations to speed him ahead. The past guilt, instead of becoming stumbling blocks, they became stepping stones so that he can move ahead. Brothers and sisters, believe me when I say, it doesn't matter what your past had been, it's what you do with the present that determines your future. Brothers and sisters, believe me when I say, it doesn't matter how low you sunk in sin, it's what God does with you if you repent. And brothers and sisters, believe me when I say, it doesn't matter what happened to you in the past, what matters most to God now is what you can be in the present. That's the right attitude. That's the right mindset. Fulfill your purpose. And what's our purpose? To know Christ and to make Him known. Number two, forget your past. Let go and let God. And then thirdly and lastly, friends, we need to face our predicament. We need to face our predicament. There are hurdles that we have to get over with. The Apostle Paul said in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all these or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. That means he recognized that there are hurdles in front of him. But friends, he made a choice. He said, I will not quit. I will press on. In verse 13, he said, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. That means, friends, he realized his present predicament, but he's focusing on one thing. And then verse 14 he said, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. That means he was able to evaluate what it will take for him to finish that race. Brothers and sisters, two more things we need to remember if we are to face our predicament. Number one, you need to remember that you always have the power to choose to do what is right. You always have the power to choose to do what is right. You can choose to give up or you can choose to go on. You can choose to be bitter or you can choose to forgive. No one can take that power from you. You always have the power to choose to do what is right. Here's a statement I learned in my 40 years as a Christian. I'd like for all of us to read this together. All together now. Ready? Read. No matter what the situation is, no matter what the other person did, our response is still our choice and God will hold us accountable. You see, when we're face to face with God, you cannot say to God, Lord, I became like this because of my husband. God will not accept that. You are responsible for your response. God will hold you accountable how you react 
Now, we're not trying to justify what your husband did to you or what others did to you, but how you responded to that is your choice. There's a book by Viktor Frankl entitled Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl was a survivor of the Holocaust. When he was arrested by the Gestapo police, he got separated from his wife, who was then pregnant. They confiscated all his treasured possessions. They marched him into the Gestapo courtroom, and as if that's not enough, they removed all his clothes, and then they shaved his head. And he was marched into the courtroom under glaring spotlights. He was destitute, a helpless pawn in the hands of sadistic men. He was accused falsely. And you know, under those spotlights, he realized, he, he was saying to himself, you know what, these men, they have removed everything from me. Wala na silang itinira. They got me separated from my loved ones. They confiscated all my treasured possessions. They removed my clothes, even shaved my head. They have not left me with anything. And then he realized under those spotlights, there was still one thing they haven't removed. In fact, there's only one thing they could never remove. And that is the power to choose how to respond. He can choose to hate or he can choose to forgive. No one can take that away from you. He can choose to give up or he can choose to go on. He can choose to be bitter or to have hope, the determination to endure or the paralysis of self-pity. No one, whatever the situation is, can take away the power to choose to do what is right. Friends, let's read this again all together. Ready, read. No matter what the situation is, no matter what the other person did, our response is still our choice and God will hold us accountable. You see, as parents, our children, they do not make us angry. We choose to be angry. It's a response. You cannot say to God, Lord, I was shouting because of my son. He's so hard-headed. No, that shouting is your choice. You can always choose not to shout. There's no circumstance that can make us depressed. Depression is our response to that circumstance. We are making a choice. But then secondly, we need to remember when we are facing a predicament. Number two, you and I need to realize that your identity determines your I ability determines you you need to realize that your identity determines your ability here's a statement again I learned this as I continue walking with the Lord you cannot rise above your predicament unless you know your real identity and realize your true potential I think it was Chuck Swindoll who from where I heard this from Friends, it's a very important lesson that understanding first who we are will determine what we do. That means it's the being that determines the doing. We need to realize our identity, who we are before God. Because once we realize our identity, then we know our ability. We know our potential. For example, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, he said in Romans 1.7, to all in Rome. Now let's change that. Alright? To all in Cebu. Okay, so that talks about us, or let's make it more specific, to all in living word. Okay, at least you can, now, can no longer excuse yourself. All those who are attending the first service now here in living word, including those who came in late this morning, 
God still loves you. Don't worry. But it says here, to all in living word who are what? Who are loved by God. You see, we need to realize that. That's our identity. We are loved by God. Come on, tell the one sitting beside you, you are loved by God. Come on, tell the one sitting beside you, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. And that's the, that's the first thing that goes out the window when something bad happens to us, isn't it? When you lose your job, you ask, does God really love me? When you receive the doctor's report and you are terminally sick, you begin to question, does God really love me? If you still don't have a girlfriend, you begin to ask, does God really love me? Friends, we need to realize who we are. We are loved by God. And not only that, we are called to be what? We are called to be saints. We are saints of God. The one seated beside you, do you know that that person is a saint? Come on, call his name and call him saint. Tell his name. Come on. That's a saint right there beside you. Your husband is a saint. Do you realize that? Your husband is a saint. I know that that gives us goosebumps to realize that your husband is a saint. But friends, the word saint in the Bible is not the same the way we use it today. Today, a saint is already dead. In the Bible, saints are still alive. Because the word saint simply means set apart. You are set apart for God's purpose. That's a saint. For example, how do you know that a government vehicle, that a vehicle is a government vehicle? How do you know that it's government owned? The plate number. Also, there's a wording on the side of the vehicle. It says what? For official use also. I mean only. For official use only. That means, friends, that vehicle has been marked as a saint for government use only. That's a saint. Friends, when you became born again, when you received the Lord Jesus Christ into your life and surrendered your heart to Him, you were given a mark and the mark says, for God's use only. You are a saint. You are a saint. Friends, when you go out these doors this morning, when you go out those doors, it will make a difference in the way you drive because you're a saint. I'm a saint of God, you know. Pero kung dili ka saint, pataka lang kag drive bisag kung paagi nimo. It will change the way you treat your wife. It will change the way you treat your children. It will change the way you go to work tomorrow. Because that's your identity. Your identity determines your abilities. Again, this statement from Chuck Swindoll, he said, We cannot rise above our present predicament unless we know our real identity and realize our true potential. One illustration and we're done. There was the story of an American Indian. The American Indian found an eagle's egg on the eagle's nest. He took the egg and then placed it on the nest of prairie chicken. And so this eagle's egg was there in the prairie chicken nest. The egg hatched. And then this eagle grew up in that community of prairie chickens. He came to believe that he's a prairie chicken. And so the way he would eat, he would just, you know, do it on the ground, the way prairie chickens would eat. When he flew, it's just a few thrashing of wings, you know, just a few feet above the ground. The same way prairie chicken would fly. But then one day, 
He saw a magnificent bird far above him in a cloudless sky, hanging with graceful majesty on powerful wind currents. And then he said, What a beautiful bird! What is it? And his prairie chicken neighbor said, That's an eagle, the chief of the birds. But don't give it a second thought. You could never be like him. The eagle never gave it another thought. And the eagle died believing that he's a prairie chicken. Now, that's tragic, isn't it? He didn't realize his full potential because he didn't realize his true identity. That he's an eagle. That's tragic. Dying without knowing your true potential. You have been deceived all throughout your life. But friends, I'm here this morning to tell you something more tragic than that. What is more tragic than that is a person who has received the Lord Jesus Christ. He has surrendered his life to Christ. He is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He is empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's been washed in the blood. He's on his way to heaven. And yet, he's living in sin. He's living a defeated life. He is burdened by guilt. He is distorted by bad habits. He is ravaged by a bad conscience. He is hardened by self-indulgence. He is disfigured by sin. Nothing can be more tragic than that. Know who you are. You are a child of God. You are the daughter of the King of Kings. You are the son of the Lord of Lords. Know your true identity. God did not design you to continue wallowing in sin. God designed you to soar in the sky. Friends, we cannot rise above our present predicament unless we know our real identity and realize our true potential. Facing your predicament, friends, we need to realize that our true person determines our full potential. Our true person determines our full potential. And therefore, you can end with the declaration of the Apostle Paul, and let's all read this declaration together. All together now. Ready? Read. Now, do you actually believe this verse? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because friends, if you actually believe this verse, that means there's nothing you and I are going to experience in the future there's nothing, there's no problem that you and God cannot solve. There's no situation that you and God cannot manage. There's no crisis that you and God cannot handle. There's no hurdle that you and God cannot overcome. There's no challenge that you and God cannot face. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even if you flunk the bar exam, I can do all things. You can be contented because you know that in Christ, everything has a purpose. Friends, how do we keep on pressing on? Three things. The mindset of the Apostle Paul from these words, we can find, number one, fulfill your purpose. And what's our purpose as Christians? To know Him and to make Him known. Number two, we need to forget our past. We need to learn to let go and let God. And number three, we need to face our predicament. And when you face your predicament, remember our true person determines our full potential. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Almighty God, Lord, you know each person here this morning. 
Lord, you know our struggles. You know we're almost at that point of giving up. But Father God, Lord, thank you for bringing us here this morning. It's not by chance that we're here. Lord, you want us to hear this message. And Father God, Lord, this morning, I thank you that the Spirit who is in me is greater than the Spirit who is in this world. Thank you that I am designed to be a victor and not to be a victim. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that indeed I can continue running this race whatever the situation may be. Oh, Father God, Lord, help us to fulfill our purpose, to set our purpose right, and that is to know Christ and to make Him known. Whatever happens to us, Lord, we can know Christ and we can make Him known through that situation. Lord, help us to forget our past. Lord, we, we move away. We cut off any connection with the past. Lord, we cut the chain of pornography. Lord, we cut the chain of adultery. Lord, we cut the chain of compromise. Lord, we cut the chain of complacency. Lord, we want to let go of the past. And we want to move on. We want to grow. We want to serve. Use us for your glory. And Father God, Lord, help us to face our predicament, whatever that may be, right now or in the future. We thank you that you all, we always have the power to choose to do what is right. And we thank you that we are indeed the children of God we are the sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so, Lord, thank you that we have been declared as saints and we will live as saints. This is our prayer and God's people say, Amen and Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord. That was a very sobering and very powerful message. At the same time, I do not want to miss the opportunity for those of you who have not yet accepted Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You may have come here for the first time, and probably this is the first time that you have heard a message like this, and you're probably wondering, well, how do I know Christ? And I would like you to know that to know Christ is by knowing, first of all, who you are, and that is you are a sinner. The Bible is very clear in Romans chapter 3 that there is no one who is righteous. As much as we would like to believe that some of us are good people, and I used to think that even with some of the vices that I had, I was still a good person. The truth of the matter is in the eyes of God, we are sinners. And unless you recognize that, Unless you admit that, there is no hope of salvation for you. And that is why, first of all, the first step in knowing Christ is to know who you are, that you are a sinner. The second thing is to know what Christ has done. Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sins. As much as we would like to think that God can just forget about what we have done. That is not the case because God is a God of justice and a God of holiness. 
and that requires payment. And the Bible is very clear. The payment for sin, the wages of sin is death. But Jesus brought us aside and had himself nailed to the cross to pay what we owed God. And these are the two things we have to know before we can know Christ. We have to know him as our Savior. And we have to know him as our Lord. So, friends, if there, is, there are some people here who do not know Christ, this is how you know Him. And know that when you accept Him as Savior, you are not only accepting Him as Savior, you are accepting Him as Lord. Meaning to say, you turn over your life to Him. For Him to own you. For Him to purchase you. For Him to be sovereign in your life. And the promise of God is this. If you accept Him as Lord and Savior of your life, you shall receive eternal life. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads once again, close your eyes, and let me just ask, is there anyone here who wants to know Christ? Is there anyone here who wants to know Him personally? And if that is what you desire. You'd like to turn over your life to Christ. You'd like to make Him your Savior. On your own, you can actually pray. But if you do not know how to pray, let me guide you in a prayer and make it your own prayer. And as a sign of faith, if that is what you want, I'd like you to please raise up your right hand to the Lord. All over this place, those who want to know Christ as personal Lord and Savior, could you please slip up your right hand? Yes, I see some hands at the back. Yes, praise the Lord for those hands. Praise God. Anyone else aside from the hands that have been raised up right now? All right. I'd like you to put down your hands right now. Please put it down. And I'd like everybody to help those who have made this decision by reciting the prayer so that they can hear it as well from us. So everybody, please. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I know that your standard is perfection. I know, Lord, I can never be perfect. And because of that, your wrath, your judgment awaits me. I thank you, Jesus, that you decided to pay my debt so that through your sacrifice on the cross, I no longer owe you anything because you have paid it all. So, Jesus, I humble myself and I make you my personal Lord and Savior. Having made that confession, say that, having made that confession, I know that I cannot change myself. So I surrender myself to the Holy Spirit who will now live and dwell in me. 
to change me and make me into the person you want me to be. I thank you for the free gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's continue to pray. Thank you, Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message of Pastor Roy. And thank you, Lord, for reminding us of who we are. We are redeemed, purchased, empowered saints. And because of that, Lord, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Allow us not to live like chickens, but allow us to soar like eagles. Because, Lord, we have been empowered by your Spirit. And so we pray this morning that whatever we have learned might become a conviction. And may that conviction become a resolution, a determination to press on towards the goal of Christ Jesus. You are that goal. You are that price. And Lord, there is nothing and no one who is more beautiful than you. And because of that, we are attracted to you and to your beauty. And let nothing distract us. Let nothing impede us. Let nothing slow us down. But Father, speed us up. Hasten and quicken our souls towards you. Every single day, may we live our lives for you. And we lift up Pastor Roy as well. We thank you for his ministry. We thank you, Lord, for how you have been using him. And we trust that you will give him more years to bring glory to your holy name and to shed abroad your light in this dark world. We thank you, O oh God, that we can also worship you with our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Please use them for the glory of your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Praise the Lord.